You are listening to the audio edition of Unstoppable Farce, The Mitch Maloney Story, by Mitch Maloney, read by the author. Chapter 3. The Unlikely Rise of Mitch Maloney From this moment forward, I am no longer pursuing my dream of someday having a dream, as Tignataro once put it. And note one. I am fully engaged and moving decisively toward my goals. All I want is to be on stage, honing my craft, bringing laughter to the masses. And, thankfully, now that the pandemic is a thing of the past, the clubs are full to the rafters, and the people are ready to laugh. The next Sunday night, Kara and I head down to Yuck Yucks for the new talent showcase. I'm not scheduled to go up. That's decided weeks in advance. But I have a feeling in my bones anyway. Sure enough, a few minutes after we take our seats, I make eye contact with Howard Wagman. He's the manager of the club and has been since 1984. He's also the guy that first put Norm MacDonald up on stage. Ditto Mike MacDonald and Tom Green and John Doerr, as well as myself, of course. He sees me from across the room and makes a beeline for our table. He says, hey now, aren't you? I say, aren't I what? Aren't you the guy that came in here and blew the roof off this place a while back? Well, I think it went all right, but that was over two years ago, I tell him. Seems like yesterday to me, he says. I'm flattered you remember me, Howard. How could I forget, says Howard. We get a lot of funny guys up on stage, but it's not every day we see that kind of bravery. I don't suppose... Yes, Howard? You want to get up there? You want to... Open the show? Now, I'm sure you've got a full slate of young talents looking forward to their big moment, Howard. I wouldn't want to take that away. I remember that feeling myself. Screw him, he says. You go up there and show us what you've been working on. Please. You mean my new tight five? You talk for as long as you want, he says. It's a tough offer to say no to. Okay, Howard. I'll try not to go too long. Terrific, he says. What name should I give the MC? Mitch, and here I pause for effect. Mitch Maloney. I figured maybe it makes sense for me to try out a new name, to mark out this new chapter of my life. Chapter 3, if you're keeping score at home. After all, it's not the first time I've used an alias. Almost as soon as I came up with the idea, the name sprang to my lips. Mitch mother. Maloney. Perfect. Next thing I know, I'm on stage. I'm not even pulling from the dozens of meticulously constructed tight fives I've got in my back pocket. I'm just winging it. Everything's landing. The crowd is dying. Just from the setups. Never mind the punchlines. 
I'm putting all of the pieces together, and they're overlapping just so. I'm smack in the middle of the comedy zen diagram. Hey, Mitch, I know you asked me not to interrupt, uh, but I wanted to make sure. <sighs> Go ahead, Darberius. Well, well, did you mean to say Venn diagram? I, I believe the phrase is Venn diagram. What the hell is a Venn? Well, I could... I could check the Dunsopedia article if you... Zen diagram. Like I was in the zone, feeling groovy. You know, in the Zen diagram. Okay. I guess that's, uh... Okay. Copy that, Mitch. Thank you. And Arberius? Yes? I want you to know I think you're doing a fantastic job. Oh, well... <laughs> Thanks, Mitch. I... I mean, I'm trying my best. When you keep your yapper shut and let me do my thing. Now get off my RSS feed. Copy that, Mitch. Anyway, I'm in the Zen diagram. I do 20, maybe 25 minutes. Then I head back to the green room to apologize to the other comics for eating up so much time. But they just give me high fives and tell me how much they loved my set. After the show, Howard comes over to me and slips me a wad of bills. I say, Howard, it's an amateur night. I wasn't expecting any... There's more where this came from, he says, real serious. I consider this an investment. When can you come back, Mr. Maloney? exception of the late night chat shows that will come later. The era of the tight five is, for me, a thing of the past. Within weeks, I'm fluctuating between a taut 20 and a semi-firm 30. Every other night at Yuck Yucks or Absolute. Soon there's a handful of comedy nerds that I see out in the crowd from the stage every night that are just there to see me, my very own cult following. But as Norm MacDonald once wrote, The only time having a cult following is a great thing is when you are actually in a cult. Then you get to be a cult leader and everything is milk and honey. However, being a stand-up comedian with a cult following just means that most folks hate your guts. And note too. Or maybe they just haven't heard of you yet. In other words, it's important for a stand-up to expand their fan base. So soon I'm following in Norm's footsteps, touring around the Yuck Yuck circuit from Burlington to Edmonton and Oshawa to Halifax. Kara comes along and we have a lot of fun sightseeing and fine dining our way across Canada when I'm not on stage. I have the day off when we're in Niagara Falls and Kara suggests we check out East Lansing where she's heard good things about some botanical gardens. While we're wandering around the Michigan State campus, I notice a flyer for a moth story slam that just so happens to be going down tonight. We head over there, and I put myself on the list. 
I figure maybe this is a good opportunity to explore the Lithuanian chupacabra character I'd started creating back before page 19. Under the name of Wade Dinklington, Kara's suggestion, BTW, as we used to say, be the wackadoodle, I tell a shaggy dog story about growing up in Mosquito Neck, Alberta, which culminates in a rant about the coming revolution about how the real patriots will unite from Alaska to Florida, including Western Canada, creating an independent Yahoo Nation called Diagolinoleum, where all of us good Diagolaholics could live by the principles of Diagolinialism. Partly I'm spoofing on some angry wingnut with a podcast I'd listen to, who's so on the line of self-parody that it only takes a slight nudge to push it over into hilarious and flagrant mockery. But Wade Dinklington is also the me I might have been if my parents had never left Alberta, and I had grown up as a Canadian-style Yahoo. It was edited out of the official broadcast, because hysterical laughter is apparently not what the moth producers had in mind. Or, as they put it in an official statement, they considered it "...culturally offensive and insensitive." violent, obscene, upsettingly revolting due to its graphic description of fecal incontinence as well as ankle disarticulation. In other words, fear of blowback from the yahoos. I book a bunch of dates in the States at clubs like Snorts in Sunnyvale, Knockety Knocks in Knoxville, Gaffaz in Gaffney, and the International House of Hilarity in Houston. I whip them up at Whimsies in Wilmington, get them chortling at Cheap Shots in Chula Vista, blow them away at Bonnie Mott's in Bowling Green, and have them bawling at Boffo's in Buford. I wipe them out at Wisecrackers in White Plains, I'm simply my best at simply the jest in San Jose. And I really push through some personal boundaries at the gag reflex in Grand Rapids. But my favorite clubs to perform in are the hip intellectual joints in Greenwich Village in San Francisco's North Beach. Places like the Cafe Huh? The Hangry Guy. And the Lavender Shallot, where I record my first live album, One Warm August Night. A few minutes into the set, I notice some chucklehead up front is munching on some greasy, steaming pastry, marinara dribbling down his chin. I ask him what he's eating, and he tells me it's a cheesy pleaser. I ask him how he likes it, and he says not bad, and I go off on an improvised jag that I won't bother to repeat here, since you've probably already heard it a million times. In the men's room at Shenanigans in Cheyenne, The guy next to me is hacking away, trying to dislodge a salamander from the back of his throat, judging by the sound he's making. I look over and I see a lumpy schlep in a faded, dandruff-dusted burgundy tuxedo. He's got a quarter-to-six shadow and the saddest, greasiest comb-over I've ever seen. He sets his Rob Roy on the urinal and wipes his Coke bottle glasses, which are fogging up from the pungent stream of used scotch he's spraying into the receptacle. I can't help but stare. 
I can't look away the same way you can't take your eyes off some festering, maggot-covered piece of roadkill. His eyes meet mine, and then his expression switches, and he starts growling like an animal. And then I feel a splash on my loafers. Turns out, it's the middler, Neil Hamburger, and he's frosted at me already because he says I stole his shtick or something, which, okay, maybe a little bit, but I'm not about to admit it. So I thwack him right on his sunken shin. He reaches over the divider, slowly and weakly attempting to strangle me, and soon we're rolling around in the yellow sticky. I wrestle him up and over to an unflushed crapper covered in shortened curlies, and I shove his greasy noggin right in there and give him the swirl. I mean, you whiz on a fella's shoes, you gotta expect a reaction. I feel sort of bad for breaking his glasses, but like he'd be the first to tell you, that was just Neil's life. few months later, I'm taking the stage at the Just for Laughs Festival in Montreal. Like most, if not all, of the stand-ups performing at this year's festival, I've got to put in my two cents about cancel culture. Although my take is a little bit different. Why can't all these other comics shut up about cancel culture? Who gives a shit? I ask the enthusiastic audience. The only conversation I want to have is about how many tickets, records, and t-shirts I can sell. Get it? The crowd is roaring as I'm going along, just riffing, effortlessly. I remember Eddie Izzard's instructions for how to rip the roof off a place. You gradually get faster in pace till the audience can hardly breathe. You go bam, 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 and then you say thank you, good night, and just walk off the stage. And note three. Works like a charm every time. Thanks, Eddie. A couple of days later, I get my first trophy for comedy, the Victor Award for Breakout Star. At the after party, I see Tignataro, one of my favorites, and someone I always thought I would get along with. So I figure maybe it'd be funny to surprise her with one of her own bits. I sneak up from behind and I say, Excuse me. I hate to bother you. But I just have to tell you, I love your voice. She slowly turns around and picks up on the bit. My singing voice? She asks rhetorically. You SOB, she says, pulling me into a hug. What a set, Mitch. I mean, just wow. Finally, someone that tells it like it is and is hilarious to boot. You really pulled it off, you SOB. I'm a huge fan of yours, Tig, I tell her. No way, she says. Sure I am. I even quoted you at the beginning of this chapter. She looks a little bit confused, and then dramatically she grabs my forearm. Who are you with, she asks. Oh. I gesture back to my table where Kara is laughing along with Ronnie Chang. I know it doesn't look like it at the moment, but that's my domestic partner. Tig looks more confused. You're dating Ronnie Chang? No, no, the one on the left. Her name is Kara. But Tig, 
I'm surprised you'd ask me that. I thought you were a happily married woman. I am, she says, rolling her eyes wildly. No, Mitch, who are you with? Your representation. Oh, I guess I don't have that. She gives me that signature Nataro blank stare. You're headlining a JFL and you don't have representation? That does seem odd now that I think about it. She hands me a business card. It reads, The Gersh Agency. Make the call, she says, looking me dead in the eyes. A giant pink and orange Muppet of a man comes over. A minor FC I recognize from Mr. Show and the Sarah Silverman Show, named Brian Posehn. He hands me a Sharpie and asks me to sign his chest, which I do, reluctantly. Then, between nervous giggles, he tells me he loves my clip-clop videos. Clip-clop videos? What are you talking about, Posehn? Did somebody put me on some horsey website? No, no, he says, clip-clop with two Qs. It's a new app for young supporters of President Tr I watch it ironically, he says, and fixes his mouth in a goofy smile. Sure, Brian, I say. He pulls out his phone and shows me his favorite. A video of a kid, maybe 14 or 15, who's lip-syncing to my moth recording. I thought Wade Dinklington, a.k.a. the Lithuanian Chupacabra, was a one-time thing I left back in East Lansing. But I guess some audio engineer had other ideas. The clip-clop ends with the kid firing a crossbow into a cardboard target of billionaire philanthropist and conspiracist boogeyman Jasper Dunst Jr. I see that the kid's got a hand-painted patch on his back, a simple stripe from one corner to the other, the flag of diagonal nihilism. This audio edition of Unstoppable Farce, The Mitch Maloney Story, was made possible by the Seventh Reformed Church of Latter-day Witnesses, The Bleepers.